I'll read the first nine verses of Revelation chapter 1. It says, This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin looking at this book, I pray that you would help us to uh, uh, begin to see what your message is for us. Especially, Lord, as we think about uh, uh, the coming year ahead of us. We pray that you would give us eyes, ears that are open and willing to receive, and hearts that are willing to respond, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen. Now, it's amazing the, uh, how, how the prospect of a crisis can focus the mind especially if that crisis affects us. I heard recently, for instance, I think it's the Russian airline Aeroflot, has decided that all its senior executives must be flying in Aeroflot planes at midnight on the 31st of December. And by that simple decision, of course, they've removed all worries about whether they'll be ready for the millennium bug. If there's no real urgency to get things done, then, then people fiddle around, don't they? There's no real cost uh, involved in, uh, in not getting ourselves sorted out, and we very often don't bother to get ourselves sorted out. Or we become distracted and, and uh, spend an awful lot of time worrying and whinging about trivialities. And my children are a case in point. And the, the trivial things go wrong all the time, and they, they, they cry, they scream, they complain, they debate endlessly who's to blame, they make a terrible row. But just occasionally, one of the children has been more seriously hurt. And on that occasion, you see, the children are quiet, they come straight to us, they explain to us exactly what has happened, they are focused, they're concentrated, because they know that something serious has gone wrong. Churches are like that, or at least they can be. And sometimes you go to a church and it's constantly bickering. It's constantly debating the minutiae. 
And you know that that church actually doesn't think anything really important is happening in its life. Well, the world, sadly, is full of such churches. They make an awful lot of noise, like my children, on a bad day. But that's only because they've lost the plot. See, the book of Revelation is actually written for churches that have lost the plot a bit. Churches that, by and large, are uh, uh, whinging and bickering and allowing all sorts of troubles to come into their midst because they've lost sight of what this world is really all about. It's written by John. John, We're told that, aren't we, in in verse 4. Probably the Apostle John. And uh, it records a series of uh, of visions that he received while he was in exile on the island of uh, Patmos, which was one of the Greek islands. Almost certainly this book was written towards the end of the uh, first century, perhaps AD 95, when uh, the Roman emperor was a man called Domitian. And at that time, persecution against Christians was just beginning to develop from from isolated outbreaks, which... uh, had, had occurred throughout the first 60 years of the church's life towards uh, signs that it was persecution was going to become the settled policy of the Roman Empire. And John knew that uh, the churches of his day were hopelessly ill-prepared for the challenges that lay ahead of them. Many of them had slipped into error or lax morals, Worse than that, a very large proportion of them were actually self-deluded. They were thinking they were doing okay, when in actual fact they were in deep trouble. And it was into that context that God gives John this vision of what would soon take place. Did you see that? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him uh, to show his servants what must soon take place. Place. In many ways, that phrase, what must soon take place, is a key to understanding what Revelation is all about. Actually, if you want to think more about how to interpret Revelation, we're going to be looking at it in some detail next Sunday evening. We're going to devote the evening to that, so come along uh, to that if you, if you can. This morning, I just want to very briefly sketch out uh, my conclusions at least. Firstly, John is not saying that he expected all the things portrayed in in this book to happen very shortly after he wrote them. He does not mean soon in that immediate and obvious sense. Actually, the word could also be translated to mean suddenly. So some people have suggested that um, nearly all the book is about a, a whole series of events that will happen one day suddenly at a time still in the future. And I don't think he means that either. Others have suggested that that the soon means that these events are soon to begin. Uh, So the book describes a whole series of events, one after the other, which will start very soon and will go on right to to the end of time. And uh, in fact, if we understand this book right, we'll see that... uh, uh, each of the pictures that is given relates directly to one incident in uh, uh, world history. I don't think he means that. 
Now, I think the clue to understanding this passage and therefore understanding what the Revelation is all about is to notice that John, uh, here and elsewhere, um, echoes a lot of Old Testament prophecies, especially, he comes back again and again to the book of Daniel. And uh, whereas people like Daniel and other Old Testament prophets, when they prophesied, they were speaking about things that will happen at some time in the future, in in the days to come, in, in the last days, as they called it. John is saying that those things that Daniel saw at a distance are now here. They will happen soon in that sense. He's saying that we now live in the last days. In fact, we have done ever since Jesus rose from the dead. The last 2,000 years have been the last days. And in the same way as you remember Jesus announced uh, in a very uh, similar way, that the kingdom of God is near. When Old Testament prophets had always looked forward to the kingdom of God as something in the future. So where uh, John says that what I am describing here are events that are now near, soon. They are ca- this is the characteristic of what will be happening for the whole period between Jesus' resurrection from the dead and Jesus' return again in glory. Revelation is actually a description of what is really going on in the world. It's a revelation in that sense. It peels off the surface texture of this world and helps us to see the spiritual realities that underlie the world we live in. So some of what, uh, uh, some of what we say may relate primarily back to John's day. There are letters to seven churches, which are definitely written to churches in John's day. Some of what we say may relate almost exclusively to what will happen in the future, because Revelation describes Jesus coming again, finally in glory. But most of the book is actually focused on helping us to understand the principles of how the world works now. What's going on? And John uses vivid pictures to help us to understand that because he knows that pictures are very, very powerful in portraying truth. And he says if we really understand this, if we really read this book carefully, we will be blessed. Did you notice that in verse 3? Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. He's saying when this book is read aloud in public, he who does so is blessed. When this book is heard and responded to by our hearts, then that person is blessed. So I'm actually very excited about studying this book. If you're wanting to find out uh, what uh, Revelation predicts in its fine details. If you want to understand, if you want to find out whether Revelation predicted Chernobyl or Tiananmen Square or uh, the war with Iraq, well, then let, let me put you out of your misery right now. It does, but not in the sort of precise detail 
but one text only applies to that incident. It does in the sense that it helps us to understand Chernobyl and Tiananmen Square and Iraq because they are, they are uh, uh, outbursts, if you want to put it that way, which show us really what is going on in this world and what has always been going on in this world for the last 2,000 years. And as such, you see, it's very, very relevant to today, isn't it? It's relevant because it talks about abiding principles, because it's re- but it's relevant also, I'm afraid, because churches are very similar today. We don't have um, the growing hostility of the Roman Empire to cope with, but we do live in times that are changing and developing. And uh, many, many people who look closely at the church conclude that we are very ill-prepared for it. There's some powerful forces in the world today that are very hostile to Christianity in their quiet way. Actually, uh, those forces are at work within the churches very often. And just think of a few. Materialism, for instance, is very strong. The idea that only the things of this life matter. And John actually himself, through the, this book, has some pretty dire warnings against people who are materialists. He calls them the inhabitants of the earth. They are people who only look at this earth. And he warns us again and again that they will be judged. Or uh, uh, amongst those who are concerned about spiritual things, there is a real problem with relativism today. The idea that it doesn't matter who you worship or what you worship. As long as you worship something, you will be okay. But this book actually gives some terrible warnings to people who worship false gods. And those two twin poles, this idea that only this world matters, and anyway it doesn't matter who you worship, combine in churches again and again to produce a deadly flabbiness you know, Christians which are only, who are only uh, interested in their material well-being are, are, of course, entirely content to see 90% of the world embracing uh, 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 all other faiths or none. Christians that think that anything or anybody that you worship won't worry about uh, introducing people to Jesus Christ himself because in their minds it won't matter. But it does matter. It does matter enormously and deeply, says the book of Revelation. The Christian life, it says, is a bit like Omaha Beach. Most people think the Christian life is like Omaha Beach in 1999. If you go there today, you will just see a great big stretch of beautiful, peaceful, sunny sand. Revelation says, no. Christian life is like Omaha Beach on D-Day. If you've seen Saving Private Ryan, you will know what that was like. You don't wander off to have a cool dip or get an ice cream on D-Day on that beach. You don't uh, whinge because the sun's gone in because there, or because there's a cool breeze or because you've got sand in your knickers on D-Day. You don't uh, uh, 
look up and notice someone has gone and conclude that, oh, they've had enough sun, so they've probably gone home to have a rest. On D-Day. Now, on D-Day, when someone has gone, you know they are either dead or they are fighting the same battle as you over the dunes. Enrico Tice was here at the beginning of the year, and he said that churches that are successful, churches that are healthy, especially in their evangelism, are churches that see the great issues clearly, churches that see the glory of Christ, churches that see the reality of hell and judgment, churches that see the urgency of our need to respond. And Revelation is designed to do that. It is designed to take the blinkers off. It is designed to help us to see what is really going on in this world. If we read this book, if we take to heart this book, it is designed to bless us. Because finally we understand the world and can respond to it. So what's the message that it gives? Well, we're going to take four months to unfold it, but I want you to just notice three characteristics of the God who gives us this message this morning, just briefly, to give us a little taster to get us into the book. First of all, the book of Revelation is a message from the Christian God. Vital that we understand that. In verses 4 and 5, all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. First of all, uh, uh, God the Father is mentioned. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. But also, the, the God the Holy Spirit is mentioned. From the seven spirits before his throne, he says. That's probably better translated sevenfold spirit. The number seven for John indicated completeness. So uh, he's most likely... Uh, speaking about the all-sufficient Spirit of God this message comes from. More importantly, he says this is a message from God the Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 1, it was a revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, it was the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5, we find that this whole book is the message from Jesus Christ. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, he says. Now, we're constantly told that uh, either that all we need to understand is about uh, this world, or uh, if we take uh, on board the idea of God, it doesn't matter what sort of God we, we worship. The Revelation says no to both of those things. This is a supernatural message from a supernatural God, and it is a message from one God only the God of the Christian faith. Christian God, who is the only God worth listening to. He is the Father, the eternal God, who was and is and is to come. He is God the Holy Spirit, not only eternally self-sufficient, but ruling in the, in the spiritual realm as well, both in the spiritual dimension of our lives and the spiritual dimension of the, of the whole of, of, eter of, of the universe. But most supremely, it is a message from the God of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is absolutely central in this. 
Because Jesus, in Jesus, God communicates to us as a physical man so that we can understand him. He is the faithful witness. Did you see that? The writer to the Hebrews says he's the exact representation of God's being. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Hebrews says God has, has, uh, has spoken to us in his Son. Not only is he, uh, is he the way that God communicates to us, Jesus, in fact, is a physical human example for us. That's why he's described as the faithful witness, because throughout Revelation, God's people will be called to be faithful too, and they have a perfect human example to follow. Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, God, God gives us the, the source of real physical hope as well. He is the firstborn from, from among from the dead. He has risen to eternal life. He gives ordinary human beings the assurance that there is eternal life. There is life beyond the grave. And in Jesus, God demonstrates his very earthly power. God is not just some ruler out there a million zillion miles away from us who, who vaguely has some degree of control over the world. No, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, he says. Every single human being, from the least to the greatest, is subject to Jesus' personal control. Jesus earths God, do you see? Jesus helps us to know God in the real world. Jesus is the way that God communicates to us, the way that God rules this world. Only this God can give us a satisfying message. This is a message from the Christian God. But it is a message too from the liberating God. Verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Everybody's actually looking for freedom. You know, the free market economist and the socialist, the, uh, the pro-Indonesian militiaman and the East Timorese uh, separatist, the, uh, the habitual drug user and the person who prosecutes the habitual drug user all justify their actions by saying, this will bring the greatest freedom to me and my society. But you see what every one of those people misses is the source of our enslavement what it is really that stops us being free. God hasn't missed that. Now, he has set us free, we are told. Why? Why? Because he loves us. That's the only reason. Not self-aggrandizement, not some, some uh, 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 pity, not in order to extract some favour from us into, uh, in return. He loves us, says John. That's God's motive. And what has he freed us from? Well, that is vitally important. He has freed us from our sins. 
says John. It is not the structure of society. It is not the economic or political system. It is not the rising crime rate which ultimately enslaves us. It is a deep and all-pervasing defect in each one of our hearts called sin. Our sin enslaves us because it, it ruins our relationship with other people. It enslaves us because it ruins our relationship with ourselves so that we hate what we do. And it enslaves us most profoundly because it ruins our relationship with the holy and perfect God. It is that primary, internal defect in ourselves that God the Son, Jesus Christ, has liberated us from. How? His motive is love. His purpose is to free us from our sins. But how does he do it? Well, says John, it is by his blood. By his sacrificial death on the cross. God the Son pays the penalty for our sin, which we owe to God the Father, so that God the Father can forgive us and be reunited with us. And that root truth revolutionizes everything else about our sin. It means now that we do not need to be consumed by self-loathing. Because if God has forgiven us and accepted us, then the reality of our sin in our hearts need not be a ruling thing in our lives. And it means too that we can be reunited with other people. Other people especially who stand alongside us as those who are forgiven by God. Because God, if God has forgiven me and God has forgiven them, then how can I hold those people's sins against them? So Jesus shed his blood on the cross to free us from our sins. Because through his sacrificial death, we could be forgiven. And the result? Well, we're told very clearly, aren't we? Now we can return to God. Now we can live as people under God's kingly authority. He has made us to be a kingdom. Now we can have access to God in a way that mediates God's presence laterally through this world. We have been made priests too. Actually, right back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 19, God said to the nation of Israel that his intention was that they should be a kingdom of priests, living as people under God's rule, mediating God's presence to the world around, and they failed. Old Testament Israel failed because Old Testament Israel was still dogged by sin, which they could not pay for. But now God has paid for it. So now the New Testament church can be that kingdom, can be those priests, can have the place in God's plan that he always wanted human beings to have. Revelation is a book about freedom. It's a book about the liberating God. It's a look, book about the God who sets us free. It portrays sometimes the most horrendous things and yet always at the end it says, God has set you free if you have faith in him. 
Well, it's a message from the Christian God. It's a message from the liberating God, says John. But perhaps more fundamentally than anything else, he says it's a message from the only God. Verse 7, look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. He's the only God. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. One day Jesus Christ will come again with the clouds, says John. And on that day, absolutely everybody in the whole world will know what this world is all about. They will not any longer be focused on their nice house or their good job or all the other good things that they have. Good as those things are, they are secondary to our primary purpose in this world. And they will not be saying naively, whatever you worship, it doesn't matter. Because on that day, Jesus Christ will stand before them. On that day, you know, people are not going to get together an interfaith symposium to work out uh, what they can believe in common and come to some sort of reconciliation and common belief. They're going to bow before the living God, the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. And they are going to give answer for what they have done with the freedom that he bought them and offered them. And some have accepted and some have refused. He is the only God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is the only God. He is the only God who can set us free. He is the only God we will one day face. The uh, church in John's day was uh, facing a little bit of a crisis. It was about to move out of the era when there were apostles around. John was uh, almost certainly the last apostle to die. As uh, John looked forward to the next century, he called people to read this book and take it seriously. Well, we face a new era, the third millennium. Be honest before we know it. And what's more, in that third, that third millennium, though the uh, date changing may not be so significant, we are seeing an increasing rate of cultural change and transformation and new challenges for the church. You know, if John were here now, he would be saying the same thing. Read this book. Take it to heart. And you will be blessed. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we uh, 
pray even more seriously what we prayed before we opened this book. That you would give us eyes and ears and hearts that can understand and respond to this book. We bow before you as the only God, the God who in your genius revealed yourself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so revealed yourself as, as uh, able to rule in all spheres. The God who in your love revealed yourself as the one who wanted to set us truly free. the only God, Lord. We bow before you now and ask that you would give us a true heart, each one of us, to worship you in Christ's name. Amen.